Hi there, you are listening to the Simp Investing Podcast where we discuss everything and anything finance or business related. Simp stands for Simplified Integrity Meaning Prudence. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Simp Investing. Before we begin, we would like to put out a disclaimer. The information and content discussed does not constitute financial advice and serves for educational or entertainment purposes only. In today's episode, since uh, we always emphasize the importance of risk and downside protection, today's episode is just going to be all about risk. So I think we'll, we'll just dive straight into it. The first type of risk that I think all investors should, uh, especially equity investors should uh, okay, look Branson, out for. How about this? We explain to them, uh, yeah. like, why, why is like considering risk important in the first place? Like, okay. why, why, do, why should people care about risk? Okay, so I think uh, we mentioned it sometime uh, in our previous episodes. So I think it's all in the math, right? If you lose, um, say you lose half your account, you need to, to gain a 100% return to go back to the original amount. So I think if you keep losing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it difficult to win. You know what I mean? Like uh, what I'm getting at. So I think... Uh, that is one reason why we should always consider the, the downside. And secondly, right, um, especially if you think of downside and like risk events or triggers, I think it gives us a better emotional prep in case of uh, when such events trigger. So you will know in a sense how to react and act and not just you know, solely based on impulse and just that panic sell or uh, yeah, you do some stupid shit that you regret like a, a day later or something like that. But if you, have, if you understand the risk and downside uh, and you have some like, you know, contingency plans in place, you will react in a more logical manner. So I think these two are important reasons of, as to why um, you should really consider the downside and risk mm. in any investments you make. So um, diving on to the, the types of risk out there, uh, number one, for sure, if you're an equity investor, it will be company-related risk. So this could be in terms of like, you know, um, management-related risk, uh, the, the management, the, what, what they're going to do, uh, there, there's uh, the, the strategies, maybe, you know, even in terms of like frauds with the, um, the some, some startups out there uh, that, that became growth companies, right? So like, what's that company called again? The coffee brand in China, Lankin. Uh, Lankin coffee. coffee, yeah. I think that turned out to be a, some sort of fraud. So, uh, and then, you know, some companies, right, they're solely dependent on, like, patterns, etc., to, to make sure that they're proprietary. Um, say, if you're, if you're pharmaceutical, right, if all of the company's revenues depend on this one drug and if the patent expires um, and then unable to file for a new one, I think the business is gone after that, right? And then, uh, so these are, like, some types of risks that you have to consider for individual company. I think poor operational and financial performance is also another one. So if they constantly fail to beat the like, target set by themselves or guidances, I think this is something to be wary about. So I think it shows like the management's uh, ability. So either they are like, you know, trying to sell all the time or the company is just shit. Right. And then, <laughs> correct, correct. But, but, but do you think people set weak guidance purposely? Mm, I think from time to time they do that, you know. Um, sometimes to be more conservative and then when they hit it, right? They make themselves like, you know, there's this phase like uh, under, what's it, uh, set low expectation you know, and then uh, 
exceed them. Beat them or something. Like something. Yeah, something something else. It's quite a popular uh quote, but then I just brain freeze at <laughs> this time. Yep. Uh, yep. uh and then so I think you have to really be careful when you listen to what the management says. So if they constantly fail to meet their targets, they set them themselves. It could mean that they're just trying to like, you know, uh hype up their, you know, uh share prices or the company during the earnings call itself to prevent like I mean they have ownership stake in the company. They wouldn't want their share prices to tank. It goes with their net worth, right? It's like a mm. positive correlation. Yep. And I think if you go to the company specific itself, competition is another thing, competition risk. It could be part of an industry wide thing, but I'll lump it with company risk because actually it depends on how one company uh, that, that you're, you're invested in, how they react or tackle uh, competition. So for example, if they release new products or they go with marketing or they do some, some, some sort of M&A, they're all risk to that. So I think it's very important to um, understand as well how the company reacts to competition. So you wouldn't want like a, a company who reacts to competition by like, you know, a price strategy. So I think that, that shows like uh, weaknesses in their products in terms of like... Um, pricing power and uh, market demand. So I think to mitigate um, company risk, right? Uh, there, there are two, two main ways in my opinion. So number one is hopefully just do your homework, right? Analyze like the quarterly results, listen to earning calls, measure performance with uh, different financial ratios that's, that are present. So like your, um, say your liquidity ratios, like, uh, quick ratio, current ratio, etc. Look at the health of the balance sheet, for example, and you can also uh extend beyond that to analyze like the industry, like the competition, what they're doing. Uh, that maybe they may be worrying for your company that you're invested in, the customers, like the reviews, or maybe you can even do the Peter Lynch method. I just talk to them, but uh, it's gonna be very extensive work if you're gonna talk to customers and. Uh, he also throws suppliers into that um, into that segment as well. So I think suppliers, they will know very well, like, for example, if you are in manufacturing, uh, suppliers of like uh, raw ingredients or resources, right? I think if you talk to them, they will know like um, who, who is constantly who yeah, greater demand. Yeah. But then it depends. Sometimes they won't tell you because you're like, you're nobody. Yeah. Plus, I think there's some compliance yeah. issue as well, but you can always try to do a research online. Yeah. And the second way I think to mitigate company risk, uh, which is something I they teach in business school as well, which is to diversify, right? <laughs> diversifying, diversifying. So like um, so you diversify to reduce idiosyncratic risk, which is like company rated risk, by investing into more companies or just you know buying the ETFs on the index. So this should help offset concentrated company risk. So these are the uh, methods to mitigate company related risk. Secondly, yeah. um, I think market and volatility risk is everybody knows that, especially in this in this time period. We see our portfolios like you know, jumping back and forth, back and forth. It's uh pretty, you know, um, it makes me want to puke sometimes. Correct, <laughs> 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 correct. You have you have you felt like uh puking? Um, I thought about it, and then I was like, this is just a number on the screen, so it's like. Like how I feel really doesn't affect. So I, I, I just, yeah, just shut off my emotions. Uh, if that makes sense. Because like, yeah. I don't know, I'm a bit different from other people, but it's like, I see money as like, okay, if, if you're in the red, for example, like mm-hmm. you can make money back. 
Like, it's not the end of the world, right? <laughs> That's yeah, how I think. Nah. But yeah, fair enough. Money can always be made back. Yeah, you can't make back But just don't, but, don't yeah. blow yourself up completely. Yeah, let's... yeah don't blow yourself <laughs> up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really... really makes a very weird thing to, to blow yourself up completely. Without like, you know, sometimes you need to have emergency funds in case, like, say you get fired or something and you have no income. You need to eat, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's the worst case scenario. But to, like, resident, how I see it, right, it's like, um, uh, for example, if, for, if I'm like, imagine like 30% down on my portfolio. Yep. Like, like, even if, it's, if it sucks for me, right, I look at it as, uh, even if I'm bleeding, can you imagine what, for example, a pension fund is bleeding? Oh, yes. <laughs> like, like, I may be losing, for example, like 20K, right? Pension fund is losing 200, 200 mil. So it's like, even if I lose, like, everybody's losing. <laughs> I'm not the only one in the position anyway, right? So yeah, most of the time, thing, yeah. yeah. Or it could be like, one of those crypto people that, like, no, no dis- disrespect to them, but recently, you know, Luna... Terra, it, I think it went from like 100 plus all the way down to uh, now it's almost yeah, zero. Yeah, down 98%. I heard, I saw the headline. It's pretty bad, yeah. So, uh, back to volatility risk, right? So, like, you know, the indexes, when they when they correct or they pull back or there's increased volatility, like, I think especially in today's climate, uh, individual companies, right, no matter how well it performs, it, it's still subjected to the price volatility as well. So I think this is where the concept of beta comes in. So uh, as mentioned before, I think it's like, like your your individual company or stocks movement accordance to the uh, index movements. So um, I think if you want to like uh, understand, if you understand your 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 stomach for volatility, then I think you should find out like you know companies with beta that is more suitable to your risk appetite. But again, this company with a uh, optimal beta to prevent volatility right it may not be the growth company that you seek to like you bring you like 10x returns like within a few years that kind but again when market crashes right everything all beta i think will tend to go towards one so you still have to deal with volatility risk uh, unless mm. uh, you mitigate it by you know diversifying across different asset classes with different correlation so i think yeah. for example uh if you see Not a stock market crashing, like the world's ending, right? Probably gold prices will go up a bit. Uh, mm. So that's one way, but I think you need to have understanding of how this correlation works and also access to this kind of different uh, instruments when you need it most, uh, correct? And then secondly, I think it will be to perhaps you hedge your portfolio with options. But hedging, I think uh, you have to pay a premium for that. So either you limit your upside or uh, you know the, the the options just expire worthless, and you need to have the knowledge to hedge with options as well. So it's quite can, it's quite complicated. Can you explain to yeah. people like how how hedging uh, mitigates risk? Like yeah. what so, how like yeah yeah. So I think hedging right it's okay in a, in a, in a simpler simpler term. Say you're the, you're a long only guy. So hedging right um is supposed to limit your downside. So for example. Your your this is a hypothetical number. So, example, your your long the index at say three thousand, correct. Then you buy a put option, which is the right to sell, uh, an asset by a certain time and a certain price. So you buy a put option with a strike price of two hundred eight. Uh, sorry, two thousand eight hundred. So the max loss you can uh, take from your underlying uh index investment is three thousand minus two thousand eight hundred, which is two hundred. 
but you have to account for the premium you pay for the uh, option as well. So it's just 200 plus the premium of the option. So this limits your downside. So for example, if the index crashed to like uh, from 3,000 to 1,500, right? This is the max loss you will gain. You will get, which is uh, the 200 plus the premium you paid for the put options. So this, this uh, in a sense, limit your downsides, right? So in a way, you also like, you know, reduce your upside because you have to pay for the premium. You have to account for the premium you pay for the put option. Mm. Yeah, so I think it's a very, uh, I would say, you need a lot of experience or like, you know, you know the market really well. Uh, your technicals, your fundamentals, all that, you put everything together, then you, then you play around with the options levels to protect yourself. So I think a lot of experience comes to play. So I don't think it's that simple, but uh, it's good to know in case you know when shit happens. Uh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you dabble with options? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's I very complicated, I feel. It is very complicated. They, they call it what? Time decay, is it? Yeah, yeah. there's the there's theta. So it's, there's yeah. like Greeks. So yeah, it's a lot of stuff. In I, I, I just can't options. figure that out. Like, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I don't know how to strategize a option strategy. So uh, yeah, I just don't play it. Uh. Yeah, so uh, if you don't play options, right, I think you just, uh, especially if you're something good, in a good, very renowned, established company that's known to be solid, or you're just buying the index, I think instead of playing option, I think you should just dollar cost average in when when shit happens. Yep. So yeah, just don't time it. Just you know slowly take take a longer route. Long term, I think the index always wins. Uh. Um, moving on to the third risk that uh, we identify is interest rate risk. So this is another prominent thing nowadays with the Federal Reserve recently raising interest rates and signal like for more to come to fight inflation. So this is expected to uh, you know impact investors and individuals who carry debt, especially like uh, you know companies sometimes uh, they have a lot of, like um, those companies that are capex intensive. For example, manufacturing or property, you have to carry on a lot of debt. So, depending on whether the company's uh, debt right on the balance sheet is on fixed or floating interest rate, they're going to be impacted for sure. So they're going to pay more interest rate payments, and this will affect their earnings. Correct. And even those who um, I'm not sure completely if like uh, when interest rate changes, would investors who carry on a lot of margin debt. How they'll be affected, but I know for sure, like you know, mortgage rates, which uh, a lot of individuals like net net assets, sorry, assets are based on, right? They're gonna be impacted for sure if they're not like you know fixed or they're not fixed mortgage rate. They're gonna pay more. So all of this um will really impact like the um, individuals' uh, income, their assets, the company's uh net income also as well, and. I think if you move interest rates, right, it's going to affect bond prices, uh, usually negatively. Negatively, And when bond prices, uh, I, I would say when they drop, right, the yields will mm. go up. So um, investors will also like, I think institutional, they will move their, they'll rebalance their uh, portfolio accordingly. They will move more towards, uh, not, not sure about how much, since interest rates are also pretty low, right, uh, in, in, in historical terms. So, they might rebalance their uh, their portfolio more towards like risk on assets like stocks, perhaps more risk off and you know risk free risk free uh treasury yields that that pay more than before, even though it's not much, but it's still like riskless. 
the only way like you know uh this treasury use like have any elements of risk right is if you think the u.s government or the u.s dollar is going to fail so i think most of the time they think it's riskless yeah so interest rate risk is uh i think very prominent nowadays because of inflation and how do you mitigate that right i think uh to my to my opinion i think it's best to like maintain a portfolio that includes investments that typically benefit in the rising interest rate climate and avoid exposure to like longer term fixed rate bonds so these are types of the uh, strategies to help manage uh interest rate risk but to more towards the normal retail investors right i think you have to find stocks that uh, benefit in the rising interest rate environment so i think one very prominent uh, example would be the banks the financial banks so they're going to get more, uh, I would say, returns on their loans. But you have to, you have to find a balance if uh, their percentage increase in return right, versus the, the low, overall decrease in volume of their, their, their loan, loan out amounts. Especially, they say, like, you know, when interest rate rises, uh, probably going to signal a recession sooner or later because yeah, it's quite aggressive, right? especially this time around. So you need to find their balance. But on top of my mind, I think banks is one that's Theoretically, supposed to benefit from uh, interest rates rising. And number four, inflation risk. <laughs> I think this is very prominent today also. With uh, I think recently CPI is like, uh, for US, right, it's 8.3%. That's pretty scary if you think about it. Like every, every day, every year you're losing like, I mean, it wouldn't last forever, but you just lost like 8% from doing nothing last year. Pretty scary, right? Yeah, so I think inflation risk directly correlates with the loss of your purchasing power because the value of your investment, like if, if they do not keep up with inflation. So uh, this means that the same amount of money you will buy fewer goods and services. And uh, yeah, so I think how do you, you want to mitigate this, right? Is you, you have to invest to find uh, returns that beat inflation. Otherwise, you're just like uh, sitting duck, just passively losing money. So there's passive investing. There's also passive, uh, what do you call it? This, disinvesting. <laughs> Correct. Uh, or either that, or you find like very good ways to hate, just you like... You hate money, uh, Brenzo, you just hate money. <laughs> yeah, you just hate money if you, if you don't do anything. Or if you don't want to invest, you have to make sure like you are able to, uh, you are able to, you greatly boost your income, your active income source like, yep. Yep. In this inflationary, inflationary period. If you have a scalable so, income, you actually don't yeah, have inflation. Yeah. It should be fine. Especially, I think, if you are, uh, say, if you are in a business where, or you're a business owner where you can comfortably, uh, you know, pass on the price increase to yep. the normal retailers. Yeah, But I think your volume is going to be affected for sure, yep. uh, regardless. But, uh, yeah, I think just invest. <laughs> do both, do both. Yeah, do both. I think people, like, Sometimes they just focus too much on one and then they ignore the other. But I think it's important to find the balance between both. Mm. Yep. And I think uh, this inflation, inflationary risk uh, leads very nicely to point five, which is uh, opportunity cost. So we have to think about this as the risk of missing out, right? So opportunity cost refers to gains that you could have obtained by choosing a different investment. So for example, uh, let's say I run a very concentrated portfolio. I have like five stocks then uh, obviously I'm going to keep, I, I will keep thinking about opportunity cost, right? So yeah, since I only hold five stocks, it, it's very concentrated. I have to make sure like these five names I put in, right, 
is the best uh, companies that I feel that will obtain the best growth in terms of share prices for my risk appetite or my preference. Mm. If if I don't say if I continue if I feel another investment could generate better returns and I keep holding on to what I have, it's gonna it's gonna lead me to uh, incurring opportunity costs. So I think this is this is very very it's a very real thing for everyone. I think even for yourself, right? When you hold like limited number of risks, uh, sorry, limited number of uh, stocks in your portfolio, you 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 always think about opportunity costs, right? Yeah, because it's like oh the some something else went down. Should I reallocate? Yeah. yeah, but then you're selling out from the current position. So most of the time, it's like you're spending too much time thinking about the stock market. I feel. <laughs> that's how it's, I think it's, like, it's always an internal battle yeah <laughs> overthinking overthinking yeah so uh, to me I think the best way to mitigate this is just, you don't just execute yeah. yeah you don't do too much analysis like it will never end or you need to analysis paralysis but yeah, I think some think people like, sorry 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 to cut you off how I think about it is like if you like the company just buy yeah. it like why you think so much? <laughs> Like seriously, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Sometimes, yeah, you think too much, you don't buy, then just end up yeah, then you nothing. just wait on the sidelines. So you you yeah. don't play the game, which is even worse, right? Yep. I think some people, I think they have like uh, I don't know if it's a it's a real thing, but I think it would be nice that you know, like you know, the funds they would like balance rebalance their portfolios quarterly or like annually or half a year type of thing. Maybe normal people can do that also. So I think it gives you like a. If you want to rebalance, you want to change your holdings, you better do it to <laughs> that day or within that time period. Otherwise, you just move on. Correct. So, but it gives you a call to action to act. Like to in, act. For example, we're in Singapore, right? If we uh-huh. rebalance or sell out of a holding, for example, it's like yep. we don't pay capital gains tax, right? Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the thing sure. is, like, if, if a fund is in the US, right? If you're on a short term, like three, six months, don't they pay cap gain on their position or are, like the funds excluded? You get, you get what I mean. Oh yes, oh yes. So this is a very important criteria to take uh take note of. But again, I think it boils down to opportunity cost. Also, like if you feel that after the capital gain tax, the other investment can earn you a lot more, then uh maybe you should go. But fair enough. Yeah. Thank God we are in Singapore. <laughs> yeah. So we should probably uh get a fund manager and ask him <laughs> those questions. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Got it. Yep. Um. Moving on to the next risk, which is liquidity risk. So this is very important, uh, like especially all these NFT boom boys nowadays. Oh, damn. If, <laughs> they, 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 they say your NFT shot up from like one one Ethereum to hundred Ethereum. Yeah. Are you able to like get up easily? You know? That's a that's yeah, another like, thing. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't care how rich you are, right? Like, can you actually use that money? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who who has one hundred? Like it. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have 100 Ethereum to buy your stuff, but yep. in the context of uh, the mass market, who has 100 Ethereum to buy your your monkey photo? Correct. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's yeah, not exactly. it's not very liquid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not it's not liquid. So liquidity, right? Uh, in demand terms, it just refers to the ease of um your asset being to be able to be exchanged for another, um, uh, for example, cash, and it depends on how fast it can be, it can be done. So I think cash is the most liquid asset uh, everywhere. So you can, I think it's always in demand. It's always denominated in, in most stuff, right? And um, stocks and bonds are usually considered highly liquid as well because I think the markets will have like uh, market makers to facilitate this kind of stuff like your 
if, for example, if in uh, crypto, there is uh, dedicated market makers like, uh, if I'm not wrong, Al- Alameda, Alameda Research. So they're part of FT- FTX. So uh-huh. um, you have to account for liquidity. For, for, on the other, other hand, real estate and private business ownership, it can take like, you know, months or even years to sell those assets. Mm-hmm. And illiquid assets are difficult to unload to realize gains or to cover unexpected cash needs. So it's very important to consider this to some degree. And when you talk about stocks, right, I don't think um, most stocks are, I mean, in the US it should be quite liquid. But if you talk about uh, the Singapore Stock Exchange, SGX for example, I don't think we're very liquid. Our trading volumes are very high. Yep. So uh, you have to pay a higher bid ask spread to deal with the liquidity. Mm. So every trade you do, if you want to get it out fast, you have to pay like a premium, right? So um, also to mitigate this, um, I think there's not much way around this. You have to just research daily trading volume, the bid ask spread for any stock that you want to buy. If you are going the whole like liquid investments, right, you need to make sure you have uh, enough liquidity elsewhere in your in your like uh, your your portfolio or your mm. I mean even your savings account to make sure that you have the money to meet uh your any potential needs that arises. Because uh. otherwise I think I mean illiquidity illiquidity has benefits as well. So when prices move I think they will jump faster because of illiquidity and the bit as the wider bit as spread. But you need to make sure that you can deal with that. Yeah. NFTs for yeah, NFTs yeah, so is the most prominent example. To conclude, <laughs> right, guys, if you're buying assets, uh, uh, if you're investing with anything, make sure you can exit that position. <laughs> Don't go and buy <laughs> an NFT and then dump 100k inside. And then if you can't exit it, it really doesn't matter because you just spend the money. Spirals down. It spirals down very quickly in terms of pricing. Yeah. Yeah. People people always think like, like how much can I lose? You can lose, you can go to zero. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Most like if Enron is it? Did Enron go to zero? I think so. I don't know. The... Yeah. So yolo. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't be a dumbass and buy stuff that is like hard to get out of. Basically, I think yeah. some people like they say watches are investments also, right? I think it's the same thing. It's pretty hard to sell a watch also. Like, where are you gonna sell it? Like, uh, eBay, Carousel, or you go trade in. Quite quite easy to sell. Eh? I mean, in this market, I won't say. In the past, but depends on the market. Yeah. Depends on the market, yeah. Yeah. So I think in in Singapore they are like um you know those those deal those dealers not the boutique shops where they, they they buy sell and trade. So if you go there and sell, they're gonna eat you for some some sweet margins that they can earn when they dump it to yep. another buyer. Yeah. Yep. So moving on to the last risk, foreign investment risk. So I think. One prominent example here is currency risk. So uh, it applies, for example, uh, say you buy a house in, so you're Singaporean, you invest in a house in Bangkok, they collect rental, but you're probably going to collect their rental in Thai baht. So there's uh, this currency exchange risk element involved when you exchange it back to SGD for your own usage. So uh, if the Thai baht like weakens significantly, you're going to like bring back bring back home uh, a lower amount of SGD. So this is like a, a currency risk that you have to take note of. So this doesn't just apply for normal individuals, companies also as well. So uh, 
you know, some some companies they have to convert their foreign currency back to home currency for accounting purposes, especially if like you know they're yeah like a worldwide eminency or something, and they get like their their revenue sources from a different a lot of different countries. But the report in USD, for example, then you have to account for that. Correct. Mm. So, for example, if the US dollar becomes less valuable relative to the Canadian dollar, your US stocks will probably be worth less in Canadian dollar. And besides that, I think uh, we talk about foreign investment risk. There's also a element of having to account for different interest rates in different countries. So, uh, for example, you your your company expand is expanding into, uh, say China, then you have to. I mean, you have to build a factory there in China. I mean, most of the time, I would think uh, you ha- you would have to borrow uh, your capital from a Chinese bank. Mm-hmm. So you have to account for interest rates there as well, not just in your home country. And how to mitigate this? I I think, again, you, you have to like, you know, uh, really expand your understanding of macro-related stuff and how, how, how the, the, the global economy works and then you just, you know, from each each country's uh micro economy, you have to be able to understand the different ins and outs, and perhaps I think you can go deal with um swaps for currencies or in- interest rates. But I'm not sure if normal retailers actually do that. I think it's more specific to institutions and uh companies. So for individuals, I think you just make sure you know your stuff and and account for this kind of risk in your investments. I've never done anything that ha- makes me need to account for foreign investment <laughs> risk. Uh, uh, for <laughs> yeah, me, I was, right? I was too small. Uh. You're not, yeah. we're not dealing with like, 30, mil. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, these are the types of risks that uh, we feel are present out there and as normal, normal retail investors, uh, you, you should integrate them into your uh, your entire approach to make it more um more i would say complete instead of just ignoring downsides and risk completely so as mentioned earlier like you lose 50 percent it's gonna take you a hundred percent win to win back it's not easy to get a hundred percent return on your portfolio <laughs> correct yeah so um always account for number one the company risk so anything that, ha- that has to do in the company's financials operations management uh and any fishy stuff like frauds you have to like go uh Go and uh, source them out. And to mitigate them, always do your homework, analyze, or if you want to, you can diversify as well. But that would, I would say, cap your upside a, a little more instead of being like fully concentrated. Secondly, uh, market and volatility risk. So this is like today, like nowadays, uh, like your stock jump up 20% and down 20% nowadays. So to mitigate, again, diversify across different asset classes that have different correlations or just hedge with uh, options if you have the uh, knowledge to do so. Number three will be interest rate risk. How um, interest rate movements will, may affect like uh, interest payments or uh, yeah, just you know, bond prices and, which, and the use which affects like rebalancing of portfolios by institutions. And to mitigate them, uh, just you know, include investments that may benefit from a rising interest rate environment. Number four, inflation risk. So you do nothing, your money loses value. Uh, from uh, in general, like the money supply increasing and um, scarce physical resources being eroded over time. 
So to mitigate, just invest. Or you make sure you can earn a lot more with your, your job over time. Fifth will be opportunity cost, uh, which is uh, in layman's terms, the risk of missing out. So to mitigate this, in our opinion, just execute of do, doing analysis to be like paralyzed by it. And maybe you can look to rebalance uh, every fixed time period, but again, you have to account for tax. Six, uh, liquidity risk, um, which refers to the ease of which an asset can be exchanged for, say, cash. So you have to account for this, otherwise you're going to pay like uh, high bid ask spreads to get out of investment. Mm. And to mitigate, uh, I think you can't really do much except doing homework to make sure that uh, you know what you're getting into and plan your other stuff accordingly. Number seven would be foreign investment risk. So, for example, currency risk, interest rate risk in other countries where your investment may be based in. Uh, I think there's not really much ways to mitigate this besides just doing homework and understanding your stuff and how macro macro stuff, uh, macroeconomic works. Hmm. So I think, yeah, these are all the risks that we have. Uh, I think it'll be a good time to end, up, end the episode here. So thank you guys and we'll see you next. Okay. Thank you guys.